0: You're now Experiencing Data with Brian O'Neill. Experiencing Data explores how product managers, analytics leaders, data scientists, and executives are looking at design and user experience as a way to make their custom enterprise data products and analytics applications more useful, usable, and valuable. And now, here's your host, the founder and principal of Designing for Analytics, Brian O'Neill. Okay. So I'm really excited today for this episode. We have Julian Benatar on the show and he's from a company that I'm sure a lot of people here know. You probably have had headphones on it at your desk or home or wherever you are listening to Pandora for music. And Julian is the correct me if I'm wrong. You are the product manager for artist tools and insights at next big sound, which is a type of data product that provides information on music listening stats to artists, uh, I assume to artist labels as well, to help them understand where their fans are and social media engagement. I love this topic. I'm also a musician. Uh, I have a profile on Next Big Sound. And I, th- I feel like music's a fun way to talk about analytics and design as well, because everybody can kind of relate to the content and the domain. So welcome to the show. Did I get all that correct? <laughs> yeah, it was perfect. Okay, cool, cool. So and you're originally, tell us about your background. You're from uh, France originally?
1: Yes, exactly.
0: I grew up next to Paris,
1: in Versailles more specifically, and uh-huh. moved to New York in 2014 to join Next Big Sound.
0: Cool, nice. And so, uh, you, so you've been there, what, four, about four years, something like that? And you have a software engineering background, and then now you're kind of on the product side, is that right? Exactly, yes. Uh,
1: I joined the company back when we were a startup, so software engineering was perfect. There was so much to do, and uh, through our move to Pandora, I moved to a product manager role around a year ago.
0: And did Pandora... Next Big Sound was independent and then they were acquired, right? By yes. Pan, by Pandora. And is that... Why, why did... I mean, I assume there's good stuff about your data. Why did Pandora acquire you and how did they see you guys improving their service?
1: So we got acquired in 2015. I mean, the thing is, Next Big Sound was already really involved in the music industry. We already had uh, clients like the three major labels and a lot of artists were using us to uh, get access to their social data. Mm-hmm. So I think it was a very natural move for Pandora as they wanted to get closer to creators and uh, provide a better analytics tools.
0: For people that aren't on the service, tell us a bit about who the. I always like to know like who are the actual end users, the people logging in, not necessarily the management, but who, who sits down and, and what, what are the, some of the things that they would do? Who would log into Next Big Sound and and why? Honestly,
1: it's really anyone having any involvement into the music industry. So that can be artists, obviously, looking to track their socials and their audience on Pandora. But it can also be a booker trying to book artists in their town. So we have a product that can really be used by many different user personas. But our core right now is really artists and labels having content on Pandora and trying to tell them the most compelling story about
0: what they're doing on the platform. Do you guys target like when you think about design since it's it's hard to design and we talk about this on the, on the mailing list sometimes but it's really hard to design one great thing that's perfect for everybody and so usually you have to make some choices do you guys favor the artist or the label or the book as you call them the bookers or what I know as presenters in the performing arts industry do you have a sweet spot like do you favor one of those in terms of experience it's kind of something we're uh, moving
1: towards, but it, it hasn't always been this way. So, I mean, like I told you, like, we used to be a startup. So right. our goal was to make a product that could work for as many people as possible. What is funny is we actually used to have an entity of Next Big Sound called Next Big Book, where we used to provide the same type of service for the book industry. So if anything, it's been great to join Pandora because then we could really refocus on creators and it really allowed us to, I believe, create much better and more targeted analytics tools to really uh, fulfill needs for uh, specific people like artists and labels.
0: I would assume individual artists are your biggest audience or, or is it really heavy use by the labels or who, who tends to... I think it's, it's pretty much the same, honestly. Mm-hmm. Artists, I mean, I think the
1: great thing today is that I feel compared to when Next Big Sun started in 2009 is that we don't need to make a point for people to care about data. Everyone cares about data today. So I think that everyone has uh, reasons to look at their dashboards, and especially for a platform like Pandora with millions of users every month. So our goal is really to give them... It's really about just telling them a story about what does it mean to be spinning on the platform and the opportunities it opens.
0: So like the oppor- you talk about opportunities. So are- do you have any like, stories about like, a particular artist or a label that may have learned something from your data and maybe they wrote to you or you found out like, in an interview like, how they reacted? Like, hey, we changed our tour routing or hey, we decided to focus on this area instead of that area. Do you know anything about how it's been put into use in the wild?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's used for so many different reasons. I guess an example I really like is, so for the people who don't use Pandora, Something I really like about the platform is it's really about quality. As you use Pandora, you have the opportunity to thumb up or thumb down songs. And as you do, you're going to get recommended more songs like the ones you like. Mm-hmm. It's really about making sure that you get the best songs at all times. The reality then is that for artists, their top songs on Pandora can be pretty different than their top songs on other platforms because sometimes their fans are going to be just reacting more to some part of their catalog than another one. So yeah, I mean, I've heard many times of artists changing their playlist in looking at which songs were their fans thumbing up the most on Pandora. Usually people use Pandora as a radio service. So while we already have on demand today, most people listen to radio because they usually are very targeted and it just works really well. And so the way it works is you can thumb up or thumb down songs. If you thumb up a song, you're giving Mm -hmm. us a signal that this is something that you like and something that you want to listen to more. Uh-huh. And that's data that we give back to artists. We tell them this is your most Tom songs on Pandora. These are the songs that people engage with the most on the platform. And looking at this data, you can actually inform them, like songs that they believe they should be playing more on tour.
0: Ah, I see. Okay, so it's a lot of it has to do with the the favoriting aspect to give them an idea what's what's resonating with the with their audiences.
1: Yeah, yeah qu- qualitative feedback. Yes,
0: got it, got it. Actually, it's funny you you mentioned the qualitative feedback. So. In preparation for this, I was reading an article uh, that you guys put out back in March about uh, a new feature called Weekly Performance Insights, which is really cool. And and this actually reminds me of something that... Another thing that I've, I've talked about in the, in the Designing for Analytics mailing list, which is the act of providing qualitative guides with your analytics. So a lot of times the analytics, were talking about quantitative data a lot of the time. And whenever there's an opportunity to stuff into context or provide qualifiers, I think that's a really good thing. And, and you guys look like you've done some really nice things here. I, I'll paraphrase it and then you can jump in and maybe give us some backstory on it. But one of the things that I think is really cool is there's concepts of normalcy in here so that when someone looks at their... When I, if I'm an artist and I look at my numbers, I have an idea like in, for your Twitter mentions, for example, you say, for artists with 26,000 followers, we would expect you to get around 44 mentions. So that when you show me that I have 146 mentions, I can tell that I'm I'm substantially higher than what my social group would be. And so I think that's a really fantastic concept that that people not in music could try to apply as well, which is, are there normalcy bands where you'd want to sit? Is there some other type of group, maybe an industry or a parent group or some other, uh, another business unit, whatever it may be, to provide some context for what these kind out of out-of-the-blue numbers mean that don't have any context. So how did you guys come up with that? And can you tell us a bit about the, the design process of going from maybe just showing, you know, you're at 826 apples. And it's like, as compared to what? Like, how did you move from just the number into these kind of logical groupings where you provide the comparisons? I
1: think what is really fascinating is we really live in an age of of data. I mean, as an artist, you, you need to be on social media for the most part. There's mm-hmm. still a lot of artists I listen to who just decide not to, but it's part of the things. But at the same time, success, like real big success in the music industry didn't change. I mean, it's still being on a billboard chart, getting a Grammy and all these things. As we see this, like, we have like, millions of artists uh, looking at their data every day and just not able to understand, like, is it good or is it not good? I mean, everyone starts at zero. We have a strong belief that data can only be useful when put in context. Uh, looking at a number on its own can give you a sense of how things are doing, but they can also be, they can also be dismissive. Like an example is a very a common way to look at data is to look at a number and look at the percent change in comparison to the previous week. So you got a bunch of tables and you look at, am I growing or am I not growing? Well, the reality is it's actually impossible to always have positive percent change. There's no artist in the world that always does better week by week. Even Beyoncé, I can assure you that the week she released Lemonade, she had more engagement on Twitter than the week after. So with that in mind, we really try to give a way for artists to understand how are they doing for who they are and where they are currently in their career. Where we're lucky is that, so Next Big Sun started in 2009. One of our goals was to basically track every artist in the world and give them access to these tools. And by tracking millions of artists, it uh, allows us to do some very good and very specific benchmarks. And so for an artist, uh, like the example you said, like for instance, like an artist with a thousand Twitter mentions in a week, is it good or bad in comparison to their audience size? And like really like this feature comes because that's just the question we're, we're asked. I mean, artists want to know, is it any good? What does this number actually mean for me? And so that's why we really wanted to, in some ways, get out of being like content aggregator platform and really be a data analytics platform. How can we actually give information that can help artists make better decisions?
0: Yeah, I remember the first time I got uh, what looked, what I would call like an, an anomaly detection email from your service. And it was about some, I think it was a spike in, YouTube views or something like that. And I thought this is... Well, A, it's, it's f- fantastic in two reasons. First of all, you identified an anomalous change, whether that's... And I think in this case, it's a, it's a positive anomalous change. So that tells me that I should log into the tool. And secondly, you proactively delivered that to me. Uh, and so part of like on, on the Designing for Analytics mailing list we talk about is that user experience does not necessarily live inside your... You know your web browser interface or your hard client or whatever you're using to show your analytics, email and notifications are a big part of that. So can, can you tell me about how you guys also arrived at like when you push these things out and, and kind of maybe talk about your this little anomaly detection service that you have? It all started when we got acquired
1: by Pandora. We decided to just invite a bunch of users and just talk to them, like understand how they use the product and what do they think about it. So we had artists, managers, and label people come over and we just talk to them. And basically they all said, like, we love it. But then by looking at their actual usage, like they don't use it that much. And I guess one of their questions is, I mean, when should I be looking at my data? Like everyone is very busy. I mean, as you're an artist, you need to perform, you need to write music, you need to engage with your fans. Same goes with every, same goes with everyone. So when should I look at data? And the reality is, by being a, a data company, we do get all the data. Like we have all the numbers. So we have ways to know when things are supposed to be known, when artists should be acting on something. We just turn this into this email called notifications. So anytime we notice that an artist is doing better than expected, we just let them know right away.
0: That's great. Right. Do, do you do it on the opposite end too? Like If there's, I don't know, an unexpected expected drop or maybe like, oh, you put a new track out and like your socials dropped or something like that. Do you, do you look at the negative side too or do you tend to only kind of promote the positive changes? So as far as pushes, we decided to do only do push for positive.
1: But okay. as you mentioned, weekly performance, uh, weekly performance can give you some negative insights. Like you're not doing as well as artists with the same size of your audience as yours. The reason we didn't do it for notification is I mean, anomalies are, can be pretty... I, I mean, they're really hard to completely control. Like, there's... I mean, just like a, a reason, for instance, is Twitter removing bots. Basically, every single artist would have had an email telling them, you lost Twitter followers this week. So we really... We, I mean, it was a lot of work to, to really tune our anomaly detector to actually only send emails when something legitimate happened And... Right. That's the reason we've only decided so far to do it for positive. But uh, we actually have been thinking about doing the same for negative. But that's a, another chunk of work.
0: And you're right. I think this stuff is, you have to mature these things over time. You don't want to be a noise generator. Uh, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, and too many, then people start to annoy you. And I, I've seen that with other data products I've worked on, which just have really dumb alerting mechanisms that are very binary, or they're set at a hard threshold just shoot out noise and people just tune it out. I'm so. glad you mentioned this because this
1: feature was in beta for a year for that specific reason. Got it. it uh, we, we had to learn the hard way. We had like maybe like a hundred beta users. We got way too many emails because anytime they were just and not only anywhere, they would just get an email and for the most part it was not like things that were supposed to help them. And I mean, if a notification becomes noise, then that's like absolutely against its purpose
0: was there a particular group of do the uh, artist manager well maybe we should like maybe for the audience i don't know if everybody knows kind of how the music business works at least in the popular music side but just to summarize you have individual artists that are actually performers and then they may or may not have an artist manager which kind of takes care of their their business affairs represents them and like negotiations with booking uh, people that book shows uh, and then you have labels, which are uh, sort of like an artist manager, except they're really focused on the recording assets that the artist makes. And they actually tend to own the recordings uh, outright at the beginning. And then over time, the artist may recoup through sales, they may get the ownership back and the sound recordings they make. So is there a particular of those kind of three major groups? Is there uh, one that's particularly hungry or like your your squeaky wheel that that is most interested in what you're doing? I really think that into these three groups, we have a subset of users
1: that are really into the data and into like the actionability of it. I don't think it's one specific group of users. It's really like it could be all around the industry. Like we have the data savvy that just really want to, they really want to know. I mean, we have some users that actually would rather get more notifications, even if they need to on their end figure Mm -hmm. what is right from what is wrong. But since we have such a wide user base of, Different type of people. Like we decided to go on the conservative side and make sure to only share things that we thoroughly validated through all of our filters.
0: I mean, given that you have you have that broad of an audience, like, can you tell us how does if you guys? I assume that that your group kind of reports into some division of Pandora. I'm not sure if that are you reporting into like a technology, like an IT uh, or a business unit or marketing, or where do you guys fit in the Pandora world?
1: We're part of the creator's tools, I think. I mean, I don't know. I don't really have a perfect answer to this.
0: Well, I guess my, my main question being like, do you know how... Because when we talk about designing services, you know, we talk about both user experience, which is the end user thing, but we also talk about business success or organization success. So I'm curious, like, how does Pandora measure that next big sound is delivering value versus how... I, I can understand. I'm sure our audience can kind of understand how the artists value it through understanding, like how is my music moving my audiences, et cetera. Is there a way that Pandora looks at it? Are they interested in just you know time spent, you know analytics, uh, you know the analytics on the analytics, so to speak, is what I'm asking about. How do they? Yeah. How do you guys look at like, hey, this is really doing a good job or whatever? Do you have? Do you know how that's looked at or?
1: I mean, to be honest, I think you, you said it right. I mean, our goal is to help artists. Our mm-hmm. our goal is to help artists make better decisions through data. And having artists use the platform is currently the way Pandora sees us doing a good job. So actually it hasn't changed that much, like since our acquisition. One of our main KPI for the past couple of years uh, is something that we call insights consumed. So just making sure that our users, artists, anyone using Next Big Sound uh, are consuming data. So mm-hmm. that can be them logging into the website or that can, be, that can be them opening one of our notifications. But so far, that was like our main KPI. We're trying to work on some more targeted KPI, potentially like actions taken. That would be the North Star. Uh, but Got we're it. still working on how to do that right.
0: Do you guys facilitate actions, so to speak, like directly in the tool? Are there things people can do or, or would those actions really take place outside of the context of, of Next Big Sound? There's actions that artists can take uh, through the
1: other creators' tools provided by Pandora. For instance, artists have the ability to send audio messages to anyone listening to them. So if they go on tour into the US, they can have targeted messages in every every single city they're going to play. And if anyone listens to them there, they can just click and buy a ticket. So we're working into making sure that artists are aware of these tools because they're free and they're generally helping them grow uh, their careers. But regarding like, external actions i mean so far we don't have like any one click way to like tweet at the right time to the right people with the right content or anything like this sure sure
0: and that's understood i mean not not every analytics product is going to have a direct actionable insight that comes right out of it you you guys may be filling a longer term picture about trending and maybe for certain artists to get an idea what you know if they're releasing music fairly frequently what stuff is working and resonating and what stuff is not. So I can understand that there may not be a button to click, uh, you know, as a result uh, immediately, but...
1: But that's the goal, though. That's... Sure.
0: Everything we do right now is going towards
1: this objective. In order to work on any new feature, we follow this concept called the data pyramid. So it's something that you can Google. There's a Wikipedia page for it. And so let me explain to you how it works. So the data pyramid, it's a pyramid, formed of four layers stacked vertically upon each other, and it's representing an increasingly useful application of data. So at the bottom of the pyramid, we have the data layer. So data, just any sort of data set we may have. So for our case, Android data, Twitter, Facebook, just getting the numbers, getting the raw data. On top of it, we have the information layer. And so the information layer is going to be ways you have to visualize this data. I guess it's like the very broad sense of analytics. So we're going to give you tables, graphs, pie charts, you name it. We're giving you ways to craft stories about this data, but it's on you to figure it out. Then on top of it, we have what we call the knowledge layer. And that's where things start to get interesting. So the knowledge layer has, is the contextual part of it. So it's like, what do these numbers actually mean? Like, sure. what is, uh, it has industry expertise. So for instance, like the way we're going to work about it for musicians and their Twitter data may be different than any other industry. And the knowledge layer, I mean, goes like for like quickly performance, it's a perfect uh, answer to it. It's, it's what does it mean for me as a musician with 100 fans to get two mentions this week. And same for notifications. I mean, it's telling you that you should be looking at your data right now because something is happening. And then that's how we get to the North Star and the last part of the data pyramid, which is uh, intelligence. And the goal of intelligence is actionability now that I get to understand what that is number means to this specific context, what should I be doing? And I think it's, it's a really good, I mean, following your question, like this is everything we're trying to do here is to get to a point where we can just send an email to an artist and tell them, hey, you should be doing this right now because with all the data that we have, we believe that this is going to have the highest impact for you.
0: It's really fascinating that you just outlined this data pyramid. So I, I actually haven't heard of this before and it, it made me think of, you know, one of the kind of not a joke, but like in the music community, I'm I'm also a composer, and and when we write stuff, the kind of running joke is like nothing is new. Like your ideas for oh, I have this new song or this new melody I'm composing, it probably came before you. Like you heard it there before, and so I actually think I, I wrote a post on my list that was pretty much exactly the same thing, except the knowledge layer. I consider I was calling that insight. So, a da- data huh. being this raw format, and information being the first kind of human-readable format. That's like say going from raw data to a chart, like a, a histogram, right? Now I have a line on a chart, and then the insight layer being I have a line on the chart and another line comparing it to, like like you said, average. Or my social group, or a parent group, or some taxonomy, or an index, and then the action, or the you know the prescription for what to do, or the prediction, th- those kind of lead you into that action, which would be that fourth state. So <laughs> it made me like, you know, you're like, oh, is this really a new concept? It's like, nope, someone else already thought of that. So <laughs> I totally want to go read the read about this data. That's pyramid. amazing. Yeah. So I'm going to go. I'll find that link uh, to the data pyramid, and uh, and I'll, I'll put that in the show notes for sure. But I th- I thought that was really funny so it's funny of, that
1: you called it insight <laughs> because that's the way we call a lot of our features we're working on like the way we define insight is bite-sized content it's like it's bite-sized right. noteworthy shareable content like so how mm-hmm. can we get into the noise of all of the data to only give you exactly what you should be looking at Gosh. and that's how we got into notification and weekly performances.
0: One of the things I, I like, too, that you talked about was you, you said, Oh, we got like 100 users, like a beta group. And that kind of inspired some of this. Your product response to how do we help people know when to come and look at our service? And I think this is, this is really good because uh, one of the problems that I see with clients and, and people on the list, I think, is low engagement. So this is especially true for like internal analytics companies. Uh, low engagement can be a symptom of a difficult product. It doesn't provide the right information at the right time. It may not have a lot of utility or you, you have so much you know tradition. It's, it's a resistance to change, right? People have done something the old way and they don't want to do it the new way. And one of the recipes you can follow if you're trying to do a redesign or, or increase engagement is to involve the people that are going to use the service in the design process, both the stakeholders as well as the uh, the end customers and you get that uh, this is especially true again for the in, uh, internal analytics people your customers are other employees and and your colleagues so by en- engaging them in the design process they're much more likely to want to change whatever they're doing now so i loved how you guys did some research and i wanted to ask like do you frequently do like either usability testing or interviews and is that like an ongoing thing at your company or is it really just in front of like a big you know, feature release or something like that? Like, how do you guys do this research? And can you tell me about that? Of course. I mean,
1: it's constant. We haven't released any major feature without doing some heavy user testing. I'm very lucky to be working with two designers, Justin and Annabelle, who are very user-focused. So, I mean, honestly, if you come to, to our office, like, at least every week, we're going to have some user interview and just talking to them, showing them prototypes and just see how do they play with it.
0: So you're doing a lot of testing, it sounds like. That's fantastic.
1: And at the same time, you know, like, it's always important to find the right balance because you could be over-testing things too, you know? Sure. So we really are focusing on user testing for new things like, and make sure that the feature that we are working on actually answers the user story that we intended.
0: Do you have any, like, uh, I don't know how involved you get with participating in these, but do you have any interesting stories or anecdotes that you got from one of those that you could share?
1: I, I do participate into a lot of them, but I'm not sure I have an example right now.
0: Do, uh, are, are most of the, the people you interview, are they current users of Next Big Sound? Or do you tend to focus on maybe artists that haven't experienced the service yet or you mix it up?
1: We mix it up. We mostly uh, engage with users that we already have, but then we can decide to go with users that haven't used the platform for a while or more active users if we want to understand how we're useful into their day-to-day. What I would say is that surprisingly, it's very easy to get users to chat about their experience with the product. I didn't assume that we would get so many responses when we try to have people come over or just hop on the Zoom to check a new feature.
0: I'm glad you actually mentioned that because I think in some places, recruiting is perceived to be difficult and it probably isn't. It, it's just maybe you haven't done it before, but as I tell a lot of my clients, a lot of people love to have someone listen to them, talk and tell them all about their life and what's wrong with it and how it could be better with their tools. They love having someone listen to them, and especially if they know that their feedback is going to influence you know a tool or a service that they're using, they tend to be pretty engaged with it. I, I find it's really rare that you know I do an interview with a with a client's customer, and they don't want to be included in a future round like hey when we you know redesign the service can we come back to you and show you what we do oh i'd love to do that you know everybody wants to you know get engaged with it so you know there are places where recruiting can be difficult when it's hard to access the users some in the enterprise uh, software space that can be an issue sometimes but generally once you get them if you can get access to them they they tend to be you know pretty willing to participate so i'm glad you you mentioned that <laughs> I think the the great part about uh, testing
1: with uh, current users of the platform is to actually show them prototypes with real data, not just show them like an abstract idea that we want to work on. Because as soon as they can see what we're working on, uh, apply to their own career as musicians, for instance, that can lead to fascinating discussions.
0: Yeah, and you made a really good point on uh, the real data thing. I mean, I... I remember as far as 10 years ago or whenever I used to work at at Fidelity Investments. And we would see this issue uh, when we were working on the retail site for uh, investors. When you show a portfolio that, for example, has Apple stock trading at $22 in it, and, and it, you're not really there to test like what is the price of Apple stock, but you might be testing something entirely different and the customer cannot... They're like, what is going on? They're so stuck on this thing that it's, it's all fake seed data huh. on the prototype. And so the, the, the story here being, if you're a listener, when you test, it's important to have at least realistic data. You don't want to have noise in the test uh, or whatever you're studying, or else you can end up on these tangents. So try to make the numbers look somewhat realistic if you're using quantitative data, or at least if, you know, in some cases, people can be taught to kind of, uh, we call it role play you know, pretend you're Drake or pretend you're, you know, some big artist. And then they can kind of get their head around why they have billions of, you know, lists, you know streams instead of thousands, which they're used to. Absolutely. Um, and that also helps us actually just build better
1: products because the reality is we have a lot of artists with maybe 10 plays in a month, you know. And as we build like visualizations, like something that we built in mind of, looking at Drake's data is just not going to work as intended for smaller artists sometimes. So I right. think having, having real data involved as soon as possible uh, into the design process has been such a game changer for us. So, I mean, I'm very lucky to... Uh, we really have like a multidisciplinary team involved into the research and design of mm-hmm. everything we do. I mean, I'm working with a data scientist, a data engineer, a web engineer, and a designer on a daily basis. Obviously, like we all have our things to do, but... As we get into like, creating something new, we just make sure to have someone helping us get the real data, interview mm-hmm. the right user, and just create prototypes as soon as possible. I mean, the, working with prototypes is, I think, essential into building useful data analytics tools.
0: Yes, yeah, you do you do uh, learn a lot more with a working prototype. It's not to say you can't test with lower fidelity goods especially kind of early on, but you know, for a service like yours when the range of possible use both the personas and and also you've got the Drake's of the world, you know, big big major label artists and then down to really small independents. It's really important to have an idea how your charts are going to scale and, you know, what's going to happen with data. I mean, even just small stuff like how many decimal points should you be showing? Like, you know, on a mobile device, some of the numbers might, you know, cram exactly up. no, you know, really, all this stuff that you never think. If you only look at like one version of everything, you, you can end up kind of with a mess. So, those are it's it's, I like, I'm glad that you brought that up. Yeah, I couldn't say it better. Like, the
1: decimal is actually something that we've had to discover through real data.
0: And to all you, the, the technical people out there, I will say this if i've seen one trend with engineers is they they love precision and there's a lot of times when there's very unnecessary precision being added to numbers like such as charts and histograms histograms are usually about the trend they're not about identifying what was the precise value on this date at this time it's about the change over time so showing you know i don't know like what's my portfolio worth down to like three digits of like (laughs) micro cents or something like that. It's just unnecessary detail. You can probably just round up to the dollar or even hundreds of dollars or even thousands of dollars in some cases. So, so watch out for, and and it actually is worse. And the reason it's worse is it adds unnecessary noise to the interface. It makes it, you're providing all this ink that someone has to mentally process and it's actually not really meaningful ink because the change is what's important. So, so think about precision. Uh, you know, when you're printing values, you know. No, I, t- I totally agree. I mean, there,
1: <laughs> this concept of noise is so essential today. I mean, for any data data analytics tools. I mean, there's there's so much data today. There's data for everything, and I think it's our responsibility as a data analytics company to make sure, like, what are we actually trying to help our user with with this data set? It's not just about adding new metrics. Adding new metrics usually is just going to add noise and not, ha- not be helpful in comparison to figuring what do they need to make the right decision.
0: Yeah, I mean, things uh, complexity obviously goes up. Just the single verb, add, as soon as you do that, you're generally adding complexity. So, and, and one, of the, one of the design tools that is not used a lot, and this is something I try to help clients with, is what can we take away? You know, not not it, or can we? If we're not going to cut it out entirely, can we move this feature or maybe this comparison to a different level of detail? Maybe it's hidden behind a button click or it's not the default. But removing some stuff is a way to obviously simplify as well. Especially if you do need to add new things. So you've kind of your only weapon is not the pencil; you've got the eraser <laughs> as well in, in the battle, so to speak. I couldn't agree more. I mean, on Next Big Sun we have this concept of artist stages. Mm-hmm. So
1: it, it's a way for us to put artists into buckets and it, by looking at their social and streaming data. So it goes from undiscovered to epic. And we do that by looking at all of the, so all of the data we have and looking at it in context. So for instance, for, I don't have the numbers right now because they update on a daily basis, but every artist starts undiscovered. For instance, as they get a thousand Facebook likes, maybe they're going to get to the, a promising stage. And we have all of these uh, thresholds moving every day, looking at trends among social services. But what is interesting is that, for instance, like for a booker, a booker doesn't need to look at the exact number of Twitter followers for an artist. He needs to know that he's booking for a mid-sized venue in the city he's in, and he's probably going to be looking for promising to established artists and not looking for mainstream to epic artists. So, I mean, it's always about figuring a way to use the numbers to... Got a story.
0: And are you able to, uh, like I'm totally selfishly asking for myself here, but I, I, I was immediately curious, you know, I, I live in the in Cambridge, uh, in Boston area. And I was curious, like, man, I, who are the big artists in, in our area? And what is the concentration? And I, I'm particularly, I'm in a niche, I'm more in the performing arts market and jazz and world music and mm-hmm. classical music. But I'm just curious, like, is there a way to like look at it by the city and kind of know what your artist community is? looks like do you guys do anything like that so no we don't currently but i I think youtube has actually a city level
1: chart uh, available but it's not part of something we do because i I think the users it would benefit are not the users we uh, specifically try to to work on new features i mean it's more it's more something like for bookers i think than artists specifically but right it's 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 exactly like the, the type of things that we need to to think about when we prioritize new
0: features I'm curious are you guys doing just cuz the you know the topic's fairly hot but you know everybody's trying to do machine learning projects these days I kind of don't like the term AI cuz it tends to be a little bit overloaded but are you guys using machine learning to achieve to accomplish any particular problems or or add any new value to your service right now is that on your horizon how do you think about machine learning well, I would assume it's it's t- is providing a model and looking for, uh, a lot of times, I associate it with predictive analytics. Got it, so yes. Understanding where you might be running instead of just using statistics. Maybe you're, I, I don't know what kind of data you might have that, you know, for your your learning that you can feed in. But maybe there's aspects about artists that can predict. I mean, I think, especially I would think like in the pop music world where there's so much information, like there, there tends to be more commercialization of the music i would say where it's like we need a 2 minute you know dance track at this tempo specifically cuz DJs are going to play it and it's it's almost this like it's a very commercial thing it's very different than what i'm used to so i'm curious if there's a way to predict out like how artists may do or what kinds of tracks are are performing well like these tempo songs like i don't know we predict over the next 6 months that you know i don't know like tech house music at 160 beats per minute is going to, you know, do really well based on the trending or I don't know, like, I'm I'm throwing stuff out there. I'm just, (laughs) and I'm and the goal, obviously, is not to try to use, you know, like, Oh, Home Depot has this new hammer, let's run out and get it. And we don't even know what it's for. But everyone else is buying it. You know, that's kind of a joke about machine learning. It's like, you need to have a problem that that necessitates that particular tool, so I don't ask such that oh, there should be some. I'm I'm more curious just whether or not it's it's a, a tool that you guys are leveraging at this time.
1: So the Netflix on team
0: don't uh, doesn't
1: work on features following the musical aspects of things. We really are focused on the the user data
0: engagement
1: so engagement goes, data mostly. Yes, yes. but okay. at the same time, I'm sure teams at Pindara could work on this because of the way the genome works. Like we have a lot of data about the way songs are made. Regarding machine learning, I mean, on the Next Big Song team, we actually have something that is called the prediction chart. So actually, it, you, you, you said predictions. So we have this chart that is available every week. And basically, so the, it really goes back to having data for a long time. So the fact that we have, we've had data since 2009, uh, we've been able to see artists actually get from starting to charting on the Billboard 200. Mm-hmm. And by having all of this data, we've been able to see some trends, some things that usually happen for artists at specific times in their career up until they get into a Billboard 200. So we, we do actually do have some algorithms that allow us to apply this learning to all of the artists we have on Next on right now and have a list every week of artists that we believe are most likely to appear on the Billboard 200 chart next year.
0: I see. Got it. Do you track your, your accuracy rate on that internally and, 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 and change it over time? Do you, do you adjust the, the model? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do. We do. Cool. That's really neat. This chat has been super fun. I've, I'm selfishly a little indulgent because being a musician, it's fun to talk about these two worlds that I'm really passionate about. I could go on forever with you about this, but I'm curious, do you have any uh, advice for other product managers or analytics practitioners uh, about how to design good, data products and services, how to make either your own organization happy or your customers happy? Like, do you have any advice for them?
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, I guess it's all about asking questions, honestly. I mean, what is, very, what, is, what is very good with working at Next Big Sun is that it all started in 2009. Maybe actually I can go back and tell you the story about how it started and why it's so different today. It started in 2009. It was like actually a project, like a university project by the three co-founders. And basically they were wondering one thing is how many plays does a major artist get on the biggest music platform in the world? So at the time, it was MySpace. And the artist they picked was Akon. So basically, they just built a crawler, went to bed, uh, woke up, and uh, discovered that an artist like Akon was getting 500,000 plays on MySpace in one night in 2009. So the challenge in 2009 was to get the data. And that's why, for the most part, Next Big Sound, as it started, was... I really think a data aggregation tool, like our goal was to get as many sources as possible and just make them easily accessible into the same place. And like we really are much into the information layer here. Like we're giving you all the numbers and you can compare Tumblr to Vimeo, to YouTube, to Twitter, to Facebook, to Vine, to you name it into a table or a graph if you want to. The reality is today things change. Like we don't need to fight to get data anymore. we don't need to hike away into getting the numbers. Now data is accessible to everyone and in a very easy way. It's kind of a contract. I mean, you, by being an artist, you know you're going to get access to your Spotify, YouTube, Pandora, Apple Music, or any other platform data very easily just by signing up and authenticating as an artist. So that's where, I guess, our goal changes. Thankfully, we don't need to convince people to care about data. We know they do already. But now the the challenge is different. Now the challenge is to make them understand what, what, is their data, what does their data mean and how can they turn it into getting even more data, getting into having even more engagement and having even more plays. I think that's something that is very interesting because it really resonates into the question we've been, we've been asked in the past few years, like what does my data mean and when should I be looking at my data? And so if anything, I think these two things correlated pretty well. People don't just want to look at numbers anymore. They want to be able to use numbers to make decisions. And that's the core of what we're trying to achieve today. And we couldn't we couldn't be there if we didn't have users that ask us the right questions.
0: Cool. That's that's really insightful. And just to, to maybe tie it off at the end, like and maybe you can't share this, but is there like a what's your home run? Like, what does your holy grail look like? Is there a place you guys know you want to get? And maybe it's the lack of data or you can't you know, you don't have access to the data in order to provide that service. Do you guys have kind of a picture of, of where it is you want to take the service? I mean, our, what is very,
1: I think, noble about our goal at Next Big Sound specifically is really to, we are, we're here to help artists and the North Star would be making sure that any artist at any time into their career are doing anything they can do to play more shows and to reach to more people and to make sure their, their music is heard.
0: Nice. Yeah. So I guess it's kind of like you're already there. It's just maybe the level of, of quality and, and, and improving that experience over time. That's your goal. It's not so much that there's some unobtainable thing at this moment. Is that kind of how you see it?
1: The more we don't feel like just a data analytics tool, the more we're getting to that goal. Hopefully we get to a point where uh, things are just... I mean, I really hope we get to a point where people don't need to be data anal- analysts to look at data. So, yeah, I think, I think that's, that's probably the goal. Like we're, we're always going to provide like very customizable tools for the data savvy because they know what they need more than we can ever do it for them. We mm-hmm. want to make sure that for everyone else, we can just make it very easy and as simple as a click for them to do something that's going to impact them positively.
0: Cool, man. Well, this has been really exciting uh, to have you uh, on the show. Uh, Julian, can you tell uh, listeners like where can they, they find you on the interwebs? Are you on Twitter or LinkedIn? How do they find you? For sure. Julian Benatar on Twitter.
1: NextBigSound.com is free for everyone. Actually, we made Pandora Data public recently. So if you ever want to learn more about what we do, please check it out. And we try to post on our blog about what we learn uh, through data science, through design and share more about why we build what we built. So I recommend to just check blog.net if you want to learn more about what we do.
0: Yeah, I definitely uh, recommend people check out the site. And the fun thing is, again, as you said, it's public. You can type in if there's a, a band you like or whatever. You can type in any group that you, you like to listen to and, and you can get access to those insights just to kind of get a flavor of what the, what the service does. So I'll put those links in the show, uh, in the show links, uh, show notes, as well as the uh, data pyramid Julian, cool. Thanks for coming on. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we uh, wrap it up? No, thank you so much. I love reading your
1: newsletters, and very happy to be here.
0: Cool. Well, thank you so much, and uh, let's uh, let's do it again. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Experiencing Data with Brian O'Neill. If you did enjoy it, please consider sharing it with the hashtag #ExperiencingData. To get future podcast updates or to subscribe to Brian's mailing list, where he shares his insights on designing valuable enterprise data products and applications, visit designingforanalytics.com slash podcast.